0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell of Back to the Bible Canada. In our final message of our series in 2 John, we'll finish our study of this book as Dr. Neufeld teaches on the truth once for all. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 John, verses 9 to 13.
1: We spent a full week in the smallest book in the Bible, We've noticed that the book is often neglected because of its size, or perhaps it seems to be like personal correspondence. But for whatever reasons, this book is often neglected. And yet, I hope you will agree with me. This small book of only 245 words contains a remarkable message for all Christians. What a tragedy it would be to neglect that which the Holy Spirit has given us to teach us how to live. See, God wants his children to love each other, but he also wants his children to resist false teaching and contend for the truth. The balance of love and truth is essential in the life of the church and in the individual and family life of each believer. Fail to balance love and truth, and you may harm your soul. How important that is. We've come to see that people who only stress truth sometimes are harsh and uncaring. And people who only stress love fail to make critical spiritual discernment and are often unable to separate truth from error. And then John sets out to define how love and truth are intertwined. Keep the command to love one another, he teaches. And then he is quick to add, this is love, that we walk or live according to all the commands of Christ. Do you want to know how to be truly loving? Start by being obedient to Jesus in all things. Having set the stage, John now moves into the central theme of this small book. False teachers have made their way into the Christian church. More so, many of them were staying at this loving woman's house. She was clearly a love person who needed to bring the balance of truth into her life and the demands of truth into her ministry. If her house was used as a meeting center for Christians and as a place where visiting traveling preachers stayed, she needed to become discerning. She needed to make truth decisions. And so John says, Watch out, be constantly vigilant. And with that, we're ready to read the last several verses of this small book. I'm reading 2 John verses 9 to 11. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. In our study of this small book, we have seen that the false teachers were individuals influenced by contemporary philosophical trends which saw the body as evil and the spirit as inherently good. And these false teachers, using Greek philosophy as the basis for their teaching, had begun to reimagine Jesus. It seems likely these people taught that the human Jesus had been inhabited by the divine Christ, who was pure spirit. And John seizes upon this for what it truly is. This is not just a distortion of that which was from the beginning. This is a danger so great that it poses a threat to a man or a woman's eternal soul. This has all the potential of of destroying. And by the way, let me interject a note here. Much of what has become so popular in our day, you know, the secret gospels, the so-called lost teachings of Jesus, Dan Brown's popular book not long ago entitled The Da Vinci Code, borrows some of these same ideas. And so it's become popular to talk about the so-called gospel of Thomas and the gospel of Mary Magdalene and even the gospel of Judas Iscariot. In each of these cases, these writings were written long after the Jesus event, and they are in fact a fraud, for they were not written by Thomas or Mary Magdalene, and these works are not an eyewitness testimony of Jesus at all. Long after the Jesus event, these works reinvented Jesus according to popular Greek philosophical thinking. What we will do today as we complete this study is to teach every believer to heresy-proof their faith. How to spot Spotted resist false teaching and false teachers? Remember, we made a distinction between legitimate debates among believers and heresy. We said that heresy is a denial of a gospel essential, and that if this gospel essential were denied, the pathway through to faith would be obscured, and people would not find their way through to Christ. Look again at verse 9. John begins with, everyone who goes on ahead. Those words mean to get ahead of the essential teaching of Christ, or to add a novelty, something about Jesus that was not there at the beginning. Perhaps someone might stress something that might add on to, or provide a so-called deeper teaching, to go on ahead. Interesting words. John, by carefully choosing this phrase, to go ahead, is rooting us into the revelation of Jesus found in the four Gospels and in the entire New Testament. Those words are very similar to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Do not go beyond what is written. Content yourself with a revelation that came from these men who were directly chosen by Jesus himself and were eyewitnesses of his majesty and were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Learn their wisdom and rest in the revelation of Scripture. Be content with what you have learned from the beginning. So here's the first way to deception proof your spiritual life. Know your Bible well enough to be able to spot a fraud. If what you learn deviates from the essential Christian instruction about Jesus, his cross, the God we are reconciled to, and the salvation he offers, watch out. Resist this. Let me stretch this a little further. Remember that in verse 9, John says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. Now, that word teaching is a word that can be translated as doctrine. John is saying that there are some people who do not remain fixed in the doctrine of Christ. But what is the doctrine or the teaching of Christ? Now, have no doubt that what was intended here is actually quite simple. Notice that John was mentioning teachers who deny that Christ came in the flesh. John, on the other hand, affirmed that Christ did come in the flesh and even made that affirmation as an essential part of his gospel. You can't be in Christ and deny he came in the flesh, says John. If you run ahead of that, or to say it another way, if you run away from that, you don't have God the Father or the Son. 2 Corinthians 11.4, Paul warns about another Jesus. How do you get another Jesus? What both Paul and John realize is that there are many that offer a competing view of Jesus. So we've said that you can heresy-proof your faith, by learning the Bible well, and as I expand on this, we can learn to spot false teachers by knowing the foundational doctrines of the person of Christ. Where does this thinking come from? Let me take you back to Matthew 8. And by the way, by the time Second John was written, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had now been written. And in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27, we read the following. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, and so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let me try to replay that. Jesus has been preaching all day. He's tired. Mental and physical fatigue of his ministry is so great, he falls asleep in the boat. Sheer exhaustion, he can't go on. Storm rises, but he's so tired he doesn't wake. The boat is about to go down, and he will drown in his sleep. The disciples wake him, he rubs sleep from his eyes, gets a sense of his bearings, stands up in the boat, and orders nature itself to obey his voice. And the disciples say, What kind of a man is this? On the one hand, like any other human being, he gets weary and can't go on, but on the other hand, like no other human being, the very elements of the natural order respond to his command. That very question, what sort of man is this, is the very center of what John wishes this woman and us to understand. The doctrine of Christ is what is at stake. You know, from the very foundation of the church, there were at least four things about Christ that had to be stressed. One, that he was born of a virgin, and that his birth is an incarnation. He is perfect God and perfect man. He was fully God, conceived in the Holy Spirit. He was fully man, born of a woman. He is the God-man. He is the one person with two natures, fully human and fully divine. From the very outset, this was the basic doctrine of Christ. Secondly, that he died on a cross. Paul says that Christ's death is the gospel. Jesus on the cross is our wrath-bearing sacrifice, that his death is the atonement for our sins, that he is our sin substitute, that he was the spotless Passover lamb who was crucified for us. So first, the doctrine of his birth, then second, the doctrine of his death and its significance. Thirdly, that he rose bodily from the dead. His resurrection teaches us that God has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus as adequate. His resurrection also teaches us that he is truly the God-man and that all the promises of God are fulfilled in him. And fourthly and finally, that Christ will return again and judge the whole earth, that he is both the great creator who stands at the beginning of creation, and he is the great judge who stands at the end of history. He is both the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end who will return again. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That's what you learn to heresy-proof your faith.
0: In an age of more false teachings that seem to arise with every generation, how do we as Christians heresy-proof our faith? Well, in this introduction, Dr. Neufeld reminds us of getting back to the core of knowing our Bibles and the basic doctrines of our faith. But now we'll learn other important ways to ensure our faith is established in truth right after this break. It's happening. If you've listened to Laugh Again in the past, now the opportunity is available to not only hear Phil, but to see him in action. This month, we make the official launch of Laugh Again TV. Five minutes of storytelling, laughter, hope and joy all wrapped into a video message from Laugh Again and Phil Calloway. So check out Laugh Again TV at laughagain.ca or by going to the Laugh Again TV channel on YouTube a new, inspirational, joy-filled program every week. If you check out Laugh Again TV on YouTube, remember to subscribe to the channel for free and never miss another episode. Thank you for continuing to support in these challenging days. Your donations keep this unique ministry alive. To learn more, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit laughagain.ca.
1: Let's remember what John says. When these teachers aren't sound on the basics, the reason is not because there are differences of opinions on these things. The reason is that these people do not have God. They're not saved. They're instructing you about the spiritual life from the realm of the damned. And they either know or they don't know it. But in either case, if we follow the damned, what shall become of us? Might I use this as an opportunity to reinforce the call for local churches to have classes on basic Bible doctrines? And might I also commit to you as a Bible teacher here on Back to the Bible Canada, that I will both teach through books of the Bible and then occasionally intersperse this with basic Bible doctrines on various issues, everything from the Holy Spirit to the Trinity to the nature of the Bible, to the identity of Jesus, to the doctrines of salvation, and even to the doctrines of last things. Why? Why? Because we can't spiritually survive without this. So how do you heresy-proof your faith? Well, you know your Bible well. You've got to know the doctrines of Christ well. And that would include other key doctrines as well. And thirdly, make sound judgments from the basics. Here's the problem. So many people will follow a religious teacher or a new teaching based upon how it makes them feel. Some people will say, but he's so positive. Makes me feel so good. And others will say, but he's so popular. And others will say, but this is so unique and intriguing. And the truth be told, so many of us simply can't make sound judgments. You have not deception-proofed your life because you have no objective standard by which you can make decisions. We must commit to evaluate the value of a ministry on no other basis than the two factors that were given. Is it biblical and does it rest on a sound doctrine of Christ? Now, how about you? On what basis are you making your spiritual choices? Now let's move on. Verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, I've mentioned before, in the early church, there were a number of evangelists and itinerant preachers. They depended upon the generosity of God's people to house them and care for their needs. They remembered Christ's words in this regard. I'm reading from Matthew 10, 41. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. So realizing the importance of hospitality for those in ministry, all manner of Christians unwittingly opened their homes to false teachers. Added to that was the problem that the churches often met in homes, and so the very homes that put people up often allowed false teachers a platform to begin to deceive the local church. So John, with his emphasis on love and truth, makes the case for two things. First, he says, if someone comes and doesn't adhere to the basics— don't let them into your house. From the context that means, since these were house churches, don't let them into your church. Let me illustrate that. I have a very clear memory from the days of my pastoral ministry. It was Christmas and we'd put on a wonderful Christmas production and invited many non-Christians to enjoy this presentation. It was also a time when we made Bibles available to anyone who wanted them, along with other helpful literature, people standing around ready to engage people in conversations. And I remember two young Mormon missionaries showed up displaying their elder badges on their clothing. You know, I greeted the two young men and I told them, you know, actually, guys, we've got a problem. We have elders in this church, I said, and, and your badges are a problem. People will confuse you as one of our own. Look, we're delighted to have you here, but you may not wear your badges in this building. Now, they refused. They said they were always elders. And guess what I did? I threw them out of the building. Why? Well, here's the fourth way to heresy-proof your faith. Don't give false teachers a platform. Don't give them opportunity to minister to your kids. Don't give them opportunity to minister to your youth, your adults, your new believers. They must not have a platform at all. But here in the last part of verse 10 and in verse 11, John actually adds something. The Greek word translated greeting actually means don't give them a cheerful send-off or wish them Godspeed, or may God bless you on your way. For he says, if you wish them God's blessing so as to encourage them, you take part in their wicked works. Now, I'm perfectly sure that doesn't mean that we have to be rude, but it does mean that we don't pronounce blessings because where God has not pronounced blessings, neither do we. In that, we can make application to ourselves. Here's the final way to heresy-proof your faith. Never contribute in any way to their success. And that makes me want to speak about a number of issues. I will never give to a ministry. I'm not talking about giving to a secular charity or a secular medical or emergency cause or something like that. But I am talking about a ministry that involves teaching until I am sure what that ministry teaches about the basics. Does that religious ministry make the cross central? Yes or no? Now, some of you say, well, they hardly mention the cross, but I'm sure that their views on the cross are fine. Will you take the same attitude in handing out your credit card. I'm sure everything's just going to be fine. Let's for a moment remember what's at stake if you contribute to a ministry that is not plain on the basics of Christ, then if that ministry uses your funds to lead someone astray, you partake in that wickedness. I'm calling for discernment. Never contribute to the success of a false teacher. Now, let's read the last two verses in the book. Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete the children of your elect sister greet you. As John ends this brief letter to this lady, he admits that there is more he had wanted to say. Well, why didn't he say it? Wouldn't it be good to have all that he wanted to say? It seems frustrating to read it like this and then realize that what John wanted to say was said verbally and we don't have a record of it. it kind of reminds me of an experience I had years ago. You know, someone gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis' a novel entitled, Until We Have Faces. I didn't know that Lewis had written a book like that, and I was eager to read it, but I made a mistake. I just began to read at the beginning of Lewis's writings without paying attention to the introductory notes in the beginning. As the book was reaching its climax, I reached a page which said, The manuscript breaks off here, with the rest of the pages in the book explaining how we got this partial, incomplete manuscript from the pen of C.S. Lewis. You know, that's an experience. When I think about it, it still makes me mad. I don't like getting to a part of the book and not knowing what the rest should have said. And I bet you don't either. So why does John not write out everything he wanted to say? Why leave us guessing? I think the answer might be that there were questions this woman would have from what John said. There was personal counsel that John would give that just simply couldn't be done by reading. You know, we all know that. There's so much about Christian discipleship you can't get from reading books, or for that matter, only listen to sermons. At some time, one has to get to a situation of interaction with godly people and godly leaders and godly teachers. You know, we might feel that we're cheated, however, because we don't get to hear the question that this woman might have had. How would her decisions affect the entire church? I'm sure she asked that. Should she interview preachers and teachers when they came to her house, or should she bring church leaders to interview them? How should she get the news out that the new rules of her household, that they were all changing? If she was to concern herself more with truth, how could she ensure that she never would become unbalanced on the other side and forgot about love? I mean, a lot of questions like that would have been discussed. You know what the good news for us is? We who weren't there That is, we still have the rest of the New Testament to answer those very questions this woman was asking. This woman didn't have access to what we had, that is, the other books of the New Testament. But the New Testament really does instruct us well in how to balance truth and love, how to make it practical. And that will always continue to be our challenge as we seek to follow Jesus. Let's be people who balance both truth and love well. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful short book. Thank you for what it teaches us. Thank you that we must not miss its important lesson. Thank you that you have given it to us, your church, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: John, thanks for this great series. I just wanna ask the simple question, what is the, the most important thing you want us to go away with? Is it balance? Truth and love, is it vigilance, what
1: is it? Yeah, I guess it's all those things, but if I were to put everything down to one thing only, I would say it is the balance of truth and love. We all know that there are love people who have not paid attention to those things that they must pay attention to, and that there are truth people who just simply railroad it over others, and they become harsh and mean-spirited. And I think that John so beautifully brings those two elements together, just as we watch him as he relates to this woman who has a problem. I mean, she's letting false teachers in her house, and yet watch the wisdom and the gentleness as he nurtures her back into the right way. Those of us who are truth people ought to learn from that. And then for the love people, you know, listen to, the mistakes this woman has made and and hear from them and don't repeat those same mistakes i think all of us can learn to be balanced truth love people that's what the bible wants us to do and that's what this book i think is all about in one little nutshell
0: well as we wrap up our study on the shortest and perhaps most neglected book of the bible we've learned some really practical and significant lessons about walking in truth and love This is a calling for all believers to strive for this balance of being loving, but at the same time not allowing false teachings to influence us, or worse, lead us away from Christ. I hope that this program has blessed you today, as we're reminded to get back to the basics and discern everything through the lens of God's Word. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Over the past months, I've been asked a few of the same questions a number of times. Typically they would be, how is Dr. Neufeld? And the answer is, great. He's working from home for the most part, but well and safe. Another question is, how is the ministry doing financially? Well, to that I say, God is good. He provides. Gracious partners across the country continue to give and we're so appreciative. Times are uncertain and we must tighten our belts, so to speak, but we walk in confidence. So thank you for staying in touch. Thank you for supporting in prayer. And thank you to those, including our monthly partners, who continue to give regularly. And for those who are not able at this time, we understand. Please keep praying for the ministry. To learn more about the Bible teaching resources available through the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada or to support the ministry with a financial gift today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.